On today's episode of I Believe Now What, we are going to continue through our study of the book of Romans, and this time we are finally landing on Romans chapter 8. Now, some have called this the crescendo of the entire book of Romans, and some would even say it is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. And with a lofty title like that, coming from many opinions across the board, I believe this chapter deserves its own episode in which before we start breaking down verse by verse and just really deep diving into it, I want to give a bird's eye view or an overview of Romans chapter 8 as we prepare ourselves for this monumental section in the book of Romans. Well, without any further ado, hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hello, and welcome back to another episode, everybody. I hope you are ready to continue our study through the book of Romans. And as you heard from the intro, we are going to be going over Romans chapter 8. And first, I want to apologize for anybody that is a typical week-by-week listener. I did miss two weeks. Uh, That was just simply due to my job. And if you're a long-time listener, you know I'm in the military, and sometimes... My schedule does not always conform to the schedule of my podcasting, and I apologize for that. But without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump into this. And honestly, I don't even really know how to start this. I've been sitting around for the past few weeks as I'm getting my breaks in between work and going over and studying, thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to tackle this? I, I've talked about Romans 8 plenty of times on this podcast before, but it's just one of those books that just keeps on showing you more and more depth to the truths that are in there. The truths don't change, but they just get deeper and deeper. Uh, And and like I said in the very beginning, some consider this to be one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And and honestly, I'm I'm hesitant to ever say one chapter is greater than the other because who am I to judge that? But if in my humble, human, flawed opinion... I I absolutely believe that to be true myself. Now, in this chapter of Romans 8, we see beautiful and in-depth explanations on so many different things, such as justification, sanctification, and even glorification. Rarely do you see all three of those wrapped up in one section, just like it is in Romans chapter 8. You know, this has been called the crescendo of the book of Romans. Martin Luther said it was the chapter that comforts fighters in reference to those who hate their sin and long for life in the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. John Piper calls it the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Sinclair Ferguson says this chapter has, quote, has almost everything, end quote. Uh, John MacArthur calls this chapter uh, one that is dedicated to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is referenced uh, so many times throughout this entire chapter and how many times the Holy Spirit is referred to. And I'm sure there's many, many more people who have said many great things about this chapter, but if we were to go over all that today, this episode probably won't ever end. (laughs) So in today's episode, we're going to continue that verse-by-verse study into the book of Romans. And as I mentioned before, we're going to break away from that the norm that we do just a little bit. Uh, Because normally we'll go through verse by verse, break it down. You know, the whole episode usually isn't just over one chapter. We kind of break the chapter up. For But for this sake, because Romans 8 is such a monumentous chapter with so much depth, we're going to go ahead and start off by during, doing, doing an overview before going into our verse by verse study of it. So we will do a verse by verse study, 
but I just wanted to preface it with in a good bird's eye overview so that way we can really get a beautiful view of the forest before we start diving into the trees. Now, as we said in the last episode that you heard, chapter 8 of Romans is really the closing of a big idea that Paul is getting across, where in which he really started in Romans chapter 6. And if you really want to get broad with it, you can say the entire book of Romans in itself. But we know Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, they, they are chapters that complement each other. While chapter 7 leaves us off by making us feel, you know, a little hopeless when it comes to the fight against sin, chapter 8 will quickly uh, put life, put the spirit back in you. You know, it'll just lift you right back up. Maybe those weren't the correct words to say, but they're just words that just quickly breathe life back into your spirit. And, and it starts right at the very first verse where it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. Just, just dwell on these words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In this one sentence, a hope that will never be surpassed is stated and this sets the tone for the entire rest of the chapter. The Reformation Study Bible says that Paul wants the glory of their salvation rather than the depressing reminder just given of their continuing sinfulness to fulfill his readers' minds and bring joy to their heart. And if you're wondering, am I going to read the whole thing today? Absolutely. At the very end, I'm going to read the entire chapter so we can get that, like I said, bird's eye view. But before we do that, I just kind of want to break down a few things and how chapter 8 is broken down and just some of the amazing things that you can just pull off from it, from looking overhead at it. And, and the first four verses, uh, verses, verses are an explanation on how we as humans are justified before the eyes of a holy God. That's the first four verses. And then verses five through eight draw the line between those who are saved and those who are condemned and the characteristics of both of those. In nine through 11, we see once again how we can be justified in God's eyes. And then in verses 12 through 17, we'll go on to show us that believers are delivered from bondage, made alive in Christ, and what that means for us now as well as the future implications. Verses 18 through 25 then go on to tell us about what awaits us as believers and what we can look forward to. 26 through 27 gives us key insight on how prayer works. 28 through 30 tells us everything, um, how everything went behind the scenes, pre-production, you know, of life, if you will, uh, you know, before the world was ever made regarding our salvation. 31 through 39 reassures us that the security we have in Christ, that, that we have security in Christ, and there is nothing that could ever take that away. We as Christians also pool and reaffirm many key doctrines from Romans chapter 8. Justification, saved by grace, in other words, saved by grace, not by works, penal substitutionary atonement, lordship, salvation, sanctification, glorification, predestination, election, God's sovereignty, eternal security, and I'm sure I missed some, but there are so many doctrines that we have created, uh, or I don't ever want to say we have created, but doctrines that were made 
based on Romans chapter 8 or verses that you can pull from Romans chapter 8 that really expound on these key doctrines. Deliverance from bondage, our victory in Christ, the Holy Spirit's ministries, heirs with Christ, God's everlasting love from groans to glory, God is for us, and many other titles have been given to summarize the various parts of this chapter. In fact, even many psalms have been made from this chapter, both new contemporary worship psalms to old hymns, such as A Mighty Fortress is Our God, who was written by Martin Luther, Whom Shall I Fear, All the... All hail glorious Christ, blessed assurance, how great thou art, how firm a foundation, your love never fails, and many, many more, I'm sure, were written with Romans chapter 8 in mind. Now, with Romans chapter 8 being such a powerful and impactful chapter, it's not without its controversies as well, such as many of the impactful verses or chapters, as you were, you know, in the Bible. Now, we're actually going to get into a lot of that when we dive in and do our verse-by-verse study in the coming episode, so I'm not going to belabor the topic right now. But most of the time, uh, we see various arguments arise, and one specific one that really sticks out of my head if I was looking at an overview is verses 28 through 30 and what that actually means. And I'm specifically referring to the doctrines of election and predestination and some of the arguments that surround that. Don't worry, we are going to be going over that in depth. We've gone over that multiple times on this podcast, but we're really going to take a nice fresh look at it as we go through Romans chapter 8, especially in this section of 28 through 30. As I said earlier, if you are familiar with this podcast, you know that I have covered most of, if not all of Romans chapter 8 through various other episodes, recordings of sermons, and just other topical episodes that I've done. And in fact, this was the very first chapter that I had ever gone through verse by verse when I was an interim pastor at my last church. Normally, sermons that I preach are, uh, back then, when I was doing that interim pastoring, uh, you know, I was preaching very intermittently, so most of the time it was topical sermons that I was giving because I never really had the time to do a comprehensive series of a chapter, much less the entire book. Uh, through my sermons, because as I said, I was kind of preaching intermittently for the most part when I started preaching at this church because they didn't have a pastor. So I was stepping in and like every, you know, couple Sundays I would go there and preach. And then eventually it came to the point where I became, I don't want to say this because I never got the official title, but I pretty much became the full-time interim pastor. And that was my opportunity to, to really dive into Romans chapter 8 with that congregation and just give a verse-by-verse study of it. And honestly, this is something that never gets old to me because Romans chapter 8, as I said in the very beginning, and I'll probably keep saying over and over again, has so many truths in it that are just deep. You know, it, it, it it's just one chapter, and the truths never change, That the truth never changes, But what you do see is each time, it's kind of like, you know, you're digging a hole. It's the same hole, the same truths are there, but you're getting deeper and deeper and finding more and more. And it's just expounding upon that truth that you already know. Okay, so now we're going to go ahead and break down Romans chapter 8. Well, not really break it down. We're just going to read Romans chapter 8. I'm going to break away just a couple times to give a little bit of Uh, explanation or maybe expound on some of the passages, but mainly I just want to stick this to reading. And with that, before we really start, I want to preface it by saying we start out with the word therefore in verse one. And if you've heard me for any length of time, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to read before. 
because that word therefore is explaining something that was said earlier. And in this case, Paul is really explaining, in my opinion, that whole last half of Romans chapter 7 that was so depressing by telling us how, you know, we as Christians on this earth are going to continue dealing with sin. And we hate that. We hate that. You know, our, our spirit wants to do the right thing, but our physical body keeps jacking up and doing the wrong thing. You know, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? All that. But to remember that we have a new spirit in us. And therefore, because of that new spirit, therefore, let's go ahead and pick into it, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. How? Well, he's going to explain that. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, because we couldn't keep the law, we were sinful humans, it was impossible. That's why the law was weak through the flesh. But what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness, key word, likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, because Christ lived the perfect life, he was the perfect sacrifice, God offered his Son and his righteousness to us, so that we could have no condemnation, only inside of Christ Jesus. Verse 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is drawing a clear line here saying you can tell a Christian apart from a non-Christian. It's all dependent on the walk. Those who set their minds on things of the flesh walk according to the flesh. Those who set their minds on things of the spirit walk according to the spirit. The fruits will follow, whether they be rotten fruits to sin and death or good fruits to righteousness and life in Christ Jesus. And that is controversial today because some people don't want to hear that, but it's a fact. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and that new creation will work to glorify God. We are not saved to sit. We are not saved to sin. We are saved to work and bear fruit. Verse 9, however, he says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Read that again. If anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All these different people going out, oh, we all worship the same God, whether you're Mormon or Muslim or Hindu or whatever the fact may be. No, no. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. Period. 
Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though your body, the physical body, is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if any, but if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is talking about the future at the resurrection when we get our new bodies Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation, but not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's a, that's That word Abba, that's a closeness. That's like saying Papa or Daddy. It's an affectionate term like a child would call their father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that way we may also be glorified with him. Not a lot of people like hearing this today. They want the TED Talk sermon that tells them 10 steps and how to improve their life and not to have any suffering. But the fact of the matter is, as Christians today, we are called into suffering. We don't go willingly chasing after suffering, but times in our lives as Christians, we will suffer. And it may come in various different types and forms. But we will suffer. And through that suffering, we are made more and more like Christ. Because if indeed, as the verse says, we suffer with him, so that way we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And there is the entire point. No matter how hard this life gets on this earth, no matter how hard things are, no matter how much we're suffering, nothing is going to compare to when we are in heaven with God and the glory that is going to be revealed to us on that day. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we even, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not even know how to pray 
as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here he's saying we don't even know how to pray as we're supposed to, but that's okay because the Spirit sees into our heart and makes known to God what our heart is truly saying, whether it would be good or bad. Because the Spirit is constantly interceding for us, the saints. If you didn't know that, any Christian, they are a saint. That's just not a reserved title for a select few of the elite Christians. Every Christian is a saint. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that's important right there, according to the will of God, not according to our will. We might have the best of intentions, but our will may not line up with what God's will is. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What are we going to say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he also not with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who justifies? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. In other words, what he's saying with that whole passage is, after all this, you have been chosen, you have been predestined, you have been called, you have been justified, you have God on your side. Who is going to stand against you? What reason do you have to fear anything else? If God is for you, who is going to stand against you? You have the almighty creator of the universe in your corner. The God who was willing to sacrifice his own son in order to save you. What is going to stand against you? Absolutely nothing. Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him, that is Christ, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Because of all this, all the way from therefore there is now no condemnation to the end. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God who is in Christ 
Jesus or which is in Christ Jesus. If you have Christ, nothing can separate you from God. And that is one reason why. I'm tripping over my words, but that is one reason why. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, so with all that being said and done, uh, this was a little bit shorter than our normal episodes, but don't worry. There is going to be plenty to go over as we start doing our in-depth verse-by-verse study of Romans chapter 8. I hope this glorified you. I hope this edified you. I hope this gave you that good bird's-eye view as we get into this chapter. And just want to once again say thank you for anybody who is listening, and I pray that this is helping you. Uh, you know, I do this not because I want to make money because I don't make any money off of this. <laughs> I don't ask for money. I don't want money. God has provided me an amazing job. I do this because I love the Bible and I just want people to hear the truth in a world of so many people spreading so many lies and false teachings. I just want to spread the truth and, and, have people come to the knowledge of real saving faith in Jesus because in him there is freedom and in him there is truth and living water that will bring life to those who are dead. All right. Well, thank you all. I appreciate it. And y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day.